All right. I am here with John Goldman, the John Goldman. He was brought into advanced training, I'd say, uh, about eight months ago by Joe Sarno, two-time challenge champ, back-to-back. Sorry, two-time tough man champ, back-to-back. John, how are you? Good. How are we doing? Doing well, man. So, John, it sounds like, uh, at least you were telling me right before we got on this call, that your phone broke and you were having this conversation through your car. Listen, it's never a dull moment. We're going to play through the elements and we're going to do the best we can with what we got, okay? Yeah, I'm just curious. How are you How are you talking through your car without a phone? I, I, the phone works. The speaker doesn't work. You, you get, you're asking the nitty-gritty details now. It's irrelevant, you know, as long <laughs> as it works. All right. I, I love technology, man. I'm impressed. <laughs> All right. So, John, you're not you, – again, as I stated, you had just joined the group. You were supposed to join up with us in early January of this year. I believe the first time you were supposed to work out, you actually missed the workout. Sarno got upset. Then you show up. And I believe it's early February. What are your, take me through what your thoughts are as a guy who wasn't involved in the program. Maybe you only heard about it from Sarno. What were you thinking before you got to the workout, as you were working out, and then after you left? Yeah, no, absolutely. Let me start with this. So I have been an athlete my entire life. I've uh, continuously worked out. I've always been in pretty good shape. I was pretty jacked up for a long time. I'm a certified trainer. The whole nine. I love and I'm an absolute pig and I just had no idea how I let myself go so horribly and it was disgusting and I I, the day I remember the day it was like late December and I'm like this is absolutely over I'm making a change this is no more I'm going back to what I was I had a uh, half marathon coming up Memorial Day for my buddy Eric who passed away and I was like, I need to do something fast, and I need to get back to where I was. I knew I was capable. It was just a mentality thing. I got complacent, and I wasn't where I wanted to be. So I hear Sarno does this for years now. He raves about it. He's, he tells me how great of a trainer you are, how incredible shape and mentality, everything. And I was like, I always had the mentality, I'm not training for anything. I had an incredible career. I, uh, I have nothing to train for anymore. I hung it up. And when I realized, like, I became so complacent and I needed that competitive edge back in me. And I wanted to get back in shape. I was like, let me give this a try. Let me really work through this. And that's the first day I came. So I went in there. Just thinking, honestly, like, this is going to be a good workout. It's different than just going to the gym. Um, and the fact that it's 5 a.m., at least I'll be productive to start my day. It'll force me to wake up. And I get there, and I'm like, uh, uh, I, the first day, I think we did something that I don't think we've ever done since, which is interesting. We were doing the medicine ball catches when we were throwing it to each other, which... Yep. Which on paper it sounds very easy, and I was so out of breath, I wanted to die. I'm like, I'm never doing this again. And I was thinking back, I'm like, I was like an all city athlete. I was, I had a great career, and I I can't even catch a goddamn medicine ball anymore. So I, I just that, gotta talk talk people through the workout so they know what you're talking about. So what we do yeah. is we we had we stood in a circle, and we did like side medicine ball launches at each other. It's a, it's a big, soft medicine ball. It might be somewhere between 12 and 14 pounds. And the intent is to catch it so that not only are you you're absorbing the force, but you're also teaching your body to take that shock impact. And then, obviously, you're throwing the ball and getting the explosion off of it. For a football player, it's real good because you're conditioning your body to, to take that contact, which is going to help you once you get into, like, football camp or during your season. Right. Absolutely. And I've done this before. I've done it many times. And I was so out of breath. I could, I was horrible. I was the worst one there. Um, there, there were Uske was there. He's much smaller than me. He's an incredible athlete, and he was like killing me in this. And I looked at myself, and I'm like, "Where did I go wrong?" And I'm like, "From that moment on, I need to pick it up. I'm gonna. I, I need to really make a change." And I went home. I'm pretty. This is a true story. I'm pretty sure I called out of work that day because of how, how nauseous and how sick I was after the workout. That's a true story. So in my mind, it's always a little wacky when someone new joins the group. Also, I, I know Sarno is hyper-competitive. I know he loves to surround himself with, uh, I'll say, the uber-athlete, ultra-masculine guys. So you never know how a guy like you, when you come into the program, how you're going to take things. So 
I, I like it that you thought it wasn't a cakewalk. I like that you thought it was tough and you got something out of it. That, that's like a compliment to what we do. The uh, the word I would use it was, it was it was a very humbling experience. It was very humbling. So I, I also <laughs> thought I had heard you mention like just how awake people were. You know, it's five o'clock in the morning, but nobody's getting out of their car. You know, getting the crust out of their eyes. Everybody's basically coming out of the car ready to go. Oh no! The second you. Uh... The second uh, Bloomingdale Park at the time, the second we got there, everyone was going. There, there was there was no uh, yawning going on. There was there was no uh, neutral. It was a hundred miles per hour from the start, which I love. That that's what that's what you need to be. That's how you made it competitive. That's how that's how you get the best out of everyone. So I think you kind of alluded to it a little bit. So you said you you're done with your your football career. You're about to hang it up. But I think you mentioned because I like to ask people this question. What is advanced training the answer to in your life? Some people, they just need camaraderie. Some people, they just want to get their six-pack back. What is it for you? Was it competition? Is that the thing? No, no, no. That's a great question. Competition, uh, I I felt like I I was going through the motions. I I go to work. I have the same routine. I – I'm adamantly against flag football, which I I apologize for anyone who is a big fan of it. But there's a lot of kids I see that think they're stars in it that uh, never played a day in their life and they think they're in the NFL. So I wasn't going to go that route. And I needed something to like really drive me, to really motivate me. And I think it was uh, the perfect answer. That and I... I, I, this is not even a testimonial. A testimonial. It's not a paid advertisement, but I am in, in much better shape because of doing it. That is awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I want to talk a little bit about the challenge. So you, you hadn't really been yeah. involved in this challenge before. I'm, I'm guessing Sarno told you a little bit about it. What were you thinking? Because the first time you were there, you didn't actually compete in it. What were your thoughts when you saw it happening? Right, so I didn't really understand it, and I feel like you need to uh, – you could explain it, but you need to be there to truly appreciate the whole concept behind it because I, I look forward to it, and I, I feel like I speak on behalf of the entire group where when it's your time to go, like you think about it the night before. You think about it – if you're Trunzo, you think about it for about two weeks before. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it, it's great, and the – I didn't understand the concept, but seeing uh, the first challenge is what brought me back, and I absolutely mean that wholeheartedly. The working out is great, but that is the reason why I came back without a, without a shadow of a doubt. And, and look, I know we have a, a small audience of people that have probably been in advanced training, but for those that don't know, the challenge is – it is what it is. It is exactly what it's called. It's two guys challenging something something to each other head to head it's usually one guy challenges another guy to something that guy accepts the challenge and you go compete in that thing and, and that's why I, i'm glad you talked about being competitive because there is a part of it about just working out but this that that final part of every workout is really what brings people to that next level it, it has them do things that they normally wouldn't do in a regular workout and guys just make each yes, other better. And, and let me add on to that and i will say this right now when I, I'm pretty sure you already know, but I will say it uh, recorded. I will never deny a challenge, no matter what it is, even if I go in knowing I'm going to lose. I will never do it out of pride. Trunzo, you heard that. Can you, can you re- yeah, I will never deny a challenge. <laughs> this is recorded. It's live. It's going to be a broadcast to at least 10 people who listen to this podcast. You not <laughs> deny a challenge. So why is that? Why won't you deny a challenge? Listen, at the end of the day... We're we're all uh, we're all waking up and tying our shoes the same way. If, uh, there, there's no one. I I read on the website that the only thing you can't do is a bench press because that's something that you can't control. Everything else is absolutely heart and will, and it's it's in any given Sunday story, any day of the week, anyone could beat anything in anything as long as they they have the mentality for it. I will never back down from a challenge. I promise you that. So uh, this kind of links to something else that's in my head because there's been a couple of times where you were completely gassed at our workouts, but you never, I've never seen you even think about quitting. And there was two things that stick in my head. It was actually uh, this week we had a torturous workout. We were, we were doing a, a sled pull with 200 pounds on it. We were doing a prowler push with 200 pounds on it. 
we were doing what I was joking around as was active recovery where you're doing a, a cradle carry or some people might call it a Zercher walk with a, with a sandbag across your chest. And there were no breaks. And in the, actually your break in between this was extra prowler pushes. And you look like you wanted to die, but you never even said like, I'm going to sit this round out or I'm going to skip this movement. And people have done that in the past where they're gassed. The other time was we had a tag team event after a workout. We were prepping for this Thanksgiving tough man competition and uh, your team got defeated like three. You were down three zero, maybe four zero. The competition was over and I felt bad. I'm like, let's choose new teams. And you said, uh, yeah, I'll be the captain. Same teams. Let's go. You seem like a hyper competitive guy with you'd rather be dead than give up. Where'd that come from? Yeah, so I think that just goes back to uh, playing Tonville football. I, I know it's cliche, but it uh, I I was the captain of the team. I was uh, it meant more to me. My both my brothers played there. I waited my entire life to play there, and it, it, the mentality was this: you could go through hell now, and you just live the rest of your life with the memories and the a claim that you're a champion or even if you don't have a title, the fact that you did everything you could for the guys next to you. And I, I have that instilled in me and that's not something that can be taught or can change. That's just how it's going to be. And I also think that yes, maybe it's, we're working out without a Super Bowl on the line, but it's a, it's a, it's a metaphor for life. When things get hard, what are you, are you going to stop and quit? Like if there's, a fire, you're going to run away from it because that's the easy way. Or you're going to go in and you're going to do the best you can to save your family. I, I know it's dramatic and exaggerated, but it, it's easy. It's easy to quit. It's hard to keep going. And, and look, and I, I, I got to stop you for a second yeah. because it's not dramatic. I know people that don't play the game of football yeah. think it probably is right. dramatic. I'm sure if you talk to someone that never strapped on the equipment and bled with their brothers and put their head into another man's skull, they don't get it. But because you went through that, and at least I, I, I have this camaraderie of everybody who's played this beautiful game, you get it, man. And I, I, it definitely rings true during these workouts. Yeah, I know it's just working out, but I feel like this is the thing that we can hang ourselves. It's probably one of the closest things we could do to actually playing the game of football again. Right, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. And you know what I always think that uh, helps me out a lot? Uh, when, especially uh, alluding back to what you just said about that last workout, that was actually incredibly hard. And I'm in much better shape now, and that, that was a very difficult workout that we just did. But what I always think is, what, what is this, 15 more minutes? 15 more minutes for the rest of your life. What is that? You're not even going to remember that in a year. You could, you could get through it. Unless you're literally about to die, you could, you could muster up some strength to finish it. And knowing a guy like you or the guys in our crew, what you would remember for the rest of your life is if you didn't finish that workout. It, it would, it would, oh, I would be, I'd be kicking myself forever. So, but let's talk about Tottenville a little bit. What, what years were you in the school? So I graduated, my uh, senior season was 2011, graduated in 2012. So was, was Munson, Coach Munson your coach? Yeah, of course, yes, uh, absolutely. All right. Yeah, he, he bre- uh, Coach Neville's a good guy. There's, there's a lot of good people that come out of that program. I'm sure that they breed that, that type of mentality that you have. What position did you play? So Neville was my offensive line coach, actually, incredible coach. And uh, so my senior year, I was a defensive end. I was very good. And we were very um, short-staffed on the O-line. I was probably going into senior year like 200 pounds were pretty pretty jacked up. I was pretty strong for a high school kid. And we had no one playing center. My brother was an all-state center. He, he actually is the JV coach right now. But um, basically in my bloodline, so I stepped up. I'm like, I'll, I don't care how small I am. I'll absolutely play center. So I did a uh, double duty center and uh, defensive end, and I actually wound up not only loving playing offensive line as an undersized uh, as an undersized player, but I became uh, advanced all star, all city. I was nominated for uh, whatever uh, the South Somer Offensive Lineman of the Year award because of the offense, not the defense. Believe it or not, that that is awesome. First of all, I'm a big I love the offensive line. I know people just say it, but obviously the type of offense that the teams I've been associated with is uh, really the, the backbone of what we do is just pounding the football. So I, let me ask you this. Did, what's the, first off, how big were you as a senior in high school? 
I was, uh, I was probably, uh, so I started, I went into camp probably 200 pounds. I am not kidding. After injuries and just after the season, I probably was playing in the playoffs at 175 pounds at center. I'm not even exaggerating. So what, what did you weigh when I first met you this January? Probably like 230. Because uh, in my mind, and I know you're a little older now, but I, that's what I thought you were weighing when you were at high school. I, I thought you were going to tell me when we talked today that you were some sort of linebacker because you look really fast as we're, as we're nope. on it. Nope. I, uh, yeah, no. Uh, center, uh, hun- finished the season 175 pounds. And then when I met you uh, earlier this year, pr- touching 230, right now I'm around 205. And you went to college to play football, correct? So here, here's the story. So I, um, my senior year of high school, I, my entire intention and everything I did was that I was playing football in college. That was the end-all, be-all. I was an incredible student. I had a hundred and whatever average. I was in the Institute of Tonville, which is the, in, the advanced classes. I Killed the SAT. I really was like that, but my priority was to play football. Week uh, like eight of the season, we were playing Curtis at Curtis, and we were undefeated. Uh, we had one loss at the time, but we were we were de facto the best team in the city. And I made a tackle, and when I made the tackle, I smet. I like pile drive my head into the the ground and my arms and legs went numb and I couldn't move for about five seconds which doesn't sound long but when you can't move that's an eternity and I eventually on my own will got off the field and I uh missed the rest of the series I couldn't feel my right arm for the rest of the game I was playing center I actually snapped the the true story snapped the rest of the game with my left hand and finished the game. It was in the fourth quarter, and it was a one-touchdown game. Is this uh, a shotgun snap? A shotgun and under center, both. Wow. Left-handed. Yes. I went with the left hand, couldn't feel my right arm the entire game. We won by a touchdown. And I went to uh, get an MRI the next day. It was bad. It was very, very bad. I couldn't even sit in the car. If we hit a speed bump, my legs would go numb. It was that bad. <laughs> Excuse me. And I got an MRI the next day, and I had so much claustrophobia, I couldn't sit in the MRI machine. So I waited in the waiting room for about two hours, got into the MRI, and couldn't do it. So I hit the red button and got out of there. (laughs) And then about three days later, I did a stand-up MRI and watched, like, an episode of Seinfeld or something, which is the greatest thing ever. If you need need an MRI, you got to go stand-up. But, uh... I had um, three herniated discs in my spine. Wow. And we were going into the playoffs, and the doctor was like, listen, you, can, you should probably end your season now. You'll be fine, and you, you could go play in college. Or you continue to play, and you risk herniating your, uh, your discs even more, and you probably won't be able to play again played the rest of the season because I waited my whole life for this. There wasn't a chance in hell I was missing a game. And maybe it was um, maybe it was a rash decision at the time, but I don't regret it one day in my life. I played the rest of the se- uh, season. The three herniated discs turned into five. I um, All these schools that I was thinking about going to that showed interest in me, that no longer existed. And the only school that I um, applied to outside of football that I even that was even a thought of going to as a student was uh, University of Massachusetts, where I ultimately went. I uh, it was the intention to try to go on as a preferred walk on. I, I talked to the coach. I did the whole nine. But at the end of the day, it just wasn't in the cards. And um, that's how my career ended, actually. But. I may have went off of track a little bit, but that's it's a longer story than just that. But that's how uh, I ultimately wound up at UMass, and that's how um, the career ended. So uh, you, you got a, you're, you got a football family. Your brother's a high school coach. The, yeah. the modern athlete, I believe, as uh, Coach Neville calls it, it's a great term. 
the, the modern era athlete. Do you think they make the same decision as you? Uh, let me go out. Let me finish this for my team. Let me finish this high school experience. Or do you think they shut it down and uh, move this thing over to their college career? I actually never heard that term before, but I kind of love it because I'm, that's what I uh, that's how I feel uh, very passionately about about the new era. And I, I, it's funny because I don't I di- I'm not that old. I didn't graduate. I graduated less than 10 years ago, about eight or nine years ago. And it is, it's the world of Instagram. It's the world of uh, how many stars you have on Rivals.com. And, I mean, it's an absolute detriment to uh, the days of doing anything you can for your team that you grew up wanting to play for. And I absolutely believe that more than anything. And if there happens to be some high school kid or the parent of a high school kid listening to this podcast at some point, the recommendation that I'd give, as I did when I was coaching a, a few months ago, was enjoy high school football because you're never getting it back. If you happen to get a full scholarship to college, the fun is over. It's now a job. Enjoy these moments that you have. Because every guy we've talked to on this podcast that's talked about high school football has the same sentiments that you have, uh, you had. Is This is the, the most important time in my life. I learned the most from the game at that time. And I, you know, I wouldn't give anything up for what I did to get to that moment. Right, absolutely, and, and uh, this is absolutely not knocking uh, wanting to go D1 because that is the most incredible accomplishment in the world, and if you have the uh, grace of God and the opportunity to do so, that is absolutely, a, like, you got to do it. I mean, absolutely, and the one thing I want to uh, disagree with what you said is that it's uh, not the greatest time of your life. You got to always, <laughs> I believe this full-heartedly, the greatest thing in your life didn't happen yet because you got to always look forward to the next thing you're doing. Oh, well said, man. Well said. I, I'd almost say, like, you got to make the greatest time of your life right now. Make it right yep, now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. It, it was great that you did it, but it happened. It's over, and you got to look for You got to, you got to do what's next. That's what they say in the barbershop. Next. <laughs> All right. I never heard that take, but I like it. <laughs> That's it. Right, so I, I want to get back to the challenge. So you get, you finally get into the challenge. You hadn't been in one. You get into one. And I know Sarno came in. I, I know Sarno. He, he won this thing last year. He, I think he kind of brought you in to make it more competitive for himself. And then the first channel, challenger in, it's you versus him in this medicine ball throw from your knees. You end up beating him in like a triple overtime. You end up then yep. beating what you didn't know at the time to be the 2019 challenge champ Trunzo in a hundred yard prowler push. So you come out of the gate, shot yep. out of the cannon, undefeated two and zero. next workout you miss, you got another obligation. You have to give the title up to Sarno and then you don't get the challenge again until like mid, I'm sorry, the end of March, your season ends at three and four. So you had this incredible high, then it goes low. What do you, what did you learn from this? this rookie year and what are you going to do in 2020 to fix this all right well let me start with this not only did i start 2-0 i started 2-0 against the tough man champion and the challenge champion so let me start that, that, with that that's 2-0 that yourself on the back man. those are two solid <laughs> oh tr- tr- trust me i will but with that being said three and four is absolutely despicable and he, I, that is just it's just testament that it, if you don't come and if you're not there for everything in life is consistency. It's uh, what have you done for me lately? I missed a ton. A lot of, I would say a lot of the time it was out of my hands. I was traveling a lot. I travel all the time, but uh, if you're not, you gotta be there. You gotta be there. That's it. That's, that's it. And uh, there is a lot of uh, technique to a lot of things we do. And if you're not there circling back to, if you're not there, you're not going to master that technique. You know, I, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, let, let me let me get back to that because I, I do want to I do want to get to that point, but I don't want to get there just yet. I want to leave that for a little bit later in the conversation. So you, you said to me before, and I didn't know this, that you're a certified trainer. Where are you certified from? What are you certified in? Yep, uh, six and a half years now, I believe. ISSA, International Sports Science of America, certified trainer. I was a uh, head trainer at UMass. Um, just a uh, personal training, uh, not uh, athletic training. But, um, yeah, I've been certified for years. I've had over probably close to 100 clients, one-on-one training throughout the years. Where do you train people? 
I, uh, since I started my actual career, I, um, haven't been actively training. So before you trained with us, did you use the type of toys that we use? A prowler, a sled, a farmer's walk? Were they in your, uh, your arsenal? So when I was training for football many moons ago, I, uh, I did never the sliders, but, uh, the prowler sled, uh, the uh, farmer's walk, absolutely. Never the sliders, which, by the way, I uh, was horrible about last season and absolutely horrible at, and I've mastered it, so everyone's in big, big trouble now. But uh, <laughs> I absolutely mastered it, so everyone's in big trouble, and that's, a, that's not a prediction, that's a spoiler alert. But um, with that being said, I was just, in the recent years, I was just uh, working out at the gym. So it, it hasn't been many years since I've worked out in such a manner. All right, so now, now let's get back to this technique. Because you, you, you're right, there's a bunch of technique involved in what we do, even from transitioning from one event to the other in the tough man. So you're going into this year's tough man. What are you thinking as you're going there? Do you think you got a chance to win it all? You're a sick athlete. You're you're a big, strong kid. You're fast. Are you thinking I got this? Or are you thinking this is going to be a battle? Listen, uh, you never go into any competition thinking you're going to lose, and if you do, you shouldn't even show up. And I, I am a firm believer of that. If you think if you th- if you're going into any competition, whether you're going for a job interview or whether you're playing in the Sugar Bowl, you better go in there thinking you're going to win. You know, and. With that being said, you also have to be very respectful of the competition because guys like Amorosi, I mean, Sarno goes without saying, but guys like Trunzo, like, they are, you can't even sit here without saying they're absolute beasts. And you, you know you're going to be in for a war. I, did I go in thinking I was going to win? Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, if you don't go in thinking you're going to win, then why even show up? What what'd you learn? Let me, before you say that, let's just talk about your time. You got uh, one minute, 11 seconds. That's pretty good. That's really good for a, a rookie first time. Unfortunately, everybody killed this event. Like People were breaking le- records left and right. We had five people, including yourself. So you hit that number, and you broke the all-time record for time in a tough man. But then four other people also broke the all-time record. So what would you learn walking out of this event? No, you got to, I mean, Amorosi, Tronzo, they're technicians. They, uh, they mastered the art of it. I mean, it's an absolute art form. But on top of that, they're also animals. And uh, at the end of the day, you just got to be masterful at the craft. You got to, uh, and, and with that being said, I, I lost the slider. I think, I, I can't quote this, but I think both times. And I, I tripped on, uh, the sled pull. And I I mean, that's absolutely correctable problems. So, I mean, going to the next one, very excited, very eager for what uh, my potential has. So, what do you think, you talked about this, this, this group of people in advanced training. I think everybody brings a, a little something different. What do you think it is that you bring to the table that is unique to you? No, I, I, I think that uh, it's everybody. Uh, you want to be there, as you uh, mentioned before. There's no, oh, I can't believe we're up this early. Everyone gets there. They, they're there for, we don't have to be there. No one has to be there. We want to be there. And uh, I think um, the bigger the group and the more like-minded uh, people we have out there, the better results we have. I, I think we had a great crew the other day. I love when we have the big crew. And um, I definitely think that everyone's on the same page with everything we got. Everyone's very motivated to get to get better and to make uh, the person next to each other better. I, I love that you said it's better when we have the big crew. It, it, to me, I don't know if I'm like a, a father or like my mom likes when the whole family's out to dinner. Everybody's got to be there. For me, I love when every single guy shows up to a workout. And it's, it's always a better day. Because as you were talking, I'm thinking – what does John bring to the table? Well, it's always a better day when he comes to the workout. We're always having a better workout when he's there. So I, I just wish that everybody had that mindset in the world, not just in advanced training. But when I come, it's not just about me. It's not just about me getting out of bed and getting a better workout. I'm making everybody else have a better workout around me. I'm making – all right, so what do you think is a strength that other people think you have that may actually be your biggest weakness?
No, I mean, that's an incredible question. I uh, feel like everyone perceives me as a very confident person, and I carry myself very uh, highly with high regards to myself, but I'm an absolute worrier. And I think that um, I learned throughout the years that about 80% of the things you worry about never happen. So you just got to uh, focus on the task at hand, do one thing at a time, and uh, you just got to prioritize what matters in life. Uh, but uh, no, I, I definitely, that's a great question. Um, I, I, would, that, I would probably has say that, that mindset helped you to stop worrying about stuff? I, don't, I think that's just an innate thing. I think uh, it helps, but I think that's just something that will be with me You forever. know, when I went to uh, Dr. Tom, the nutritionist, and he does way more than just nutritional advice, and he, he had, had us do personality assessments, and mine was a worrier and a warrior. So essentially that is that's someone who worries about stuff, stuff nonstop, and then when the moment of truth comes, becomes an absolute animal. And it, it described me to the T. The bad side of that, it was that I was always in a heightened state of stress, meaning I'm stressed out while I'm worried. And then as I'm being in this warrior mode, I'm stressed out even more. So he was saying, you got to calm down. Like you got to meditate. You got to relax, go for a walk. You got to do less of all the crazy stuff that you're doing. So that, that's why I was asking you if that helped, because I do agree with you that you, you actually, if you worry about something that never happens, or if you're worrying about something that does happen, you've suffered twice. You suffered while you're worrying, and then you're suffering while it's happening. So it would be a great mindset to, to, to think about things the way you are saying it. Some of the stuff won't happen, uh, but it's, it's very hard for a guy like me to do because I do worry so much. And part of it, I think it helps because I worry and I prepare and I over-prepare and I – I, I prepare to a point that if something doesn't happen, something else is all ready to go. But at the same time, there's a lot of stress involved with that. So if you have a good secret, let me know because I need the help with that. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I, I, what do they say? Uh, Wearing is like uh, as effective as uh, standing outside and uh, with an umbrella yep. waiting for it to rain. It, it doesn't do you any good. And there's got to be a balance, right? Like I'm, I'm thinking about like as a, a football coach or even with our training. I worried. Uh, is the, is, I always worry. Is the chain gonna break? You know, what do I do if the chain breaks? What if the clip falls off the farmer's handle? How are we gonna figure that out? And it's like that does me no good. And, but I will literally stay up at night or get up and take notes down and always try and have some sort of contingency plan. But ninety nine point nine percent of the time, none of that stuff ever happens. Right. I, yeah. Absolutely. So we have two questions more. left. Uh, the, the first one I think is a, a little deep. It's did you have a failure in your life or an apparent failure? that led to success later on. Wow. Yeah, no, that definitely a little bit deep, but uh, I, I, I hate to go back to uh, the high school football thing, but I, I mean, our senior year, we were absolutely raining the stars to win. We were the best team and there wasn't even a close second. We had one stud after another and we were clicking on all cylinders. Long story short, we lose in uh, the semifinals. We, um, we don't amount to what we're supposed to be. We're basically uh, in the uh, history books forgotten. And what it, it just taught me that um, it, I, it's just a metaphor for life that sometimes things aren't going to go the way you plan. It's how you react to them. Turn to, uh, it might be a little cliche, but you got to turn a setback into a major comeback. And the, the best revenge in life is massive, massive success. And, uh, I mean, that's that's just how you got to take it. Any anything like that could be getting fired from a job. That could be anything with a relationship. That could be anything in sports. Uh, you just got to turn your setbacks into comebacks and not let it control uh, your destiny and who you are. There's a great podcast that I highly recommend for everyone to listen. I've recommended it to you too. It's uh, it's called Business Wars, and it's battles of these companies going back and forth. And the biggest learning lesson I'm getting, all the trends that I'm seeing from all these different companies, Nike versus Adidas, Sony versus Nintendo, WWE versus WCW, it's that both of these groups never just win and keep winning. There's always some sort of loss. There's always some competitive advantage gained from that loss. There's always someone angered by the loss and trying to figure out a new way to overcome their opponent. So uh, it, is a, it, seems, it does seem to be a strategy for success. It's not just constant success. It is almost failing learning from your failing and then overcoming what you what you failed from by learning from the failure in the first place right absolutely couldn't agree more so last question my selfish question that i ask everybody as the last question 
what is uh, one life lesson you can give me on how to simplify or remove clutter? And this does not have to be lifting. It could be in work, life, whatever. It could be anything. Well, keep, in, keep this with a grain of salt that I'm the most disorganized guy you probably ever met. I'm going 180 miles per hour at all times. I uh, get on to the next task before I finish one. So I don't know if I'm uh, the best guy for this, but uh, <laughs> I, I could tell you a lot. I could tell you a lot about wrestling and spending money on a credit card, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if this. Is, I don't know if this is it. But uh, with that being said, what I try to do to uh, do that is just you got to focus on one task at a time. Focus on. Uh, you just got to making a list helps if you want to do that and uh, just crossing off daily tasks. I mean, I don't know what to tell you with that. After uh, about an hour speaking with you, you're going to ask me a question about my uh, link in life. So, I mean, that's just the story of my life. That's how we do that. Very anticlimactic and always leaving more to be well, decided. I'll say that there's something to at least know in your lane and saying, look, this, this isn't my world, man. I'll get, I got other strengths, but don't follow my advice too much on this one. <laughs> Listen, don't follow my advice there. If you want to know how to how to spend a lot of money, if you want to know how to waste your time uh, at the bar, then I'll, I'll, we could have a long discussion about that. How to do, fix a clutter, I have no idea. You tell me when you figure it out. Okay? That seems like a great podcast, how, how to waste your time at a bar, which I'm sure a lot more people would want to listen to than uh, advanced training podcast. Oh, it's a, if my life was a pie chart, that would be uh, about 78% of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, man, this has been awesome. I am so glad that you joined up with Advanced Training. You've brought a much-needed element to what we're doing, and uh, I hope to be speaking to you again soon. Uh, I can't say I hope that you win the Thanksgiving Tough Man competition because I have a feeling I'll be competing against you, but I hope we have an epic battle that morning. Yes, absolutely, and I uh, can't thank you enough for everything you do, and I uh, mean it uh, from the bottom of my heart. I wish you guys luck, but you guys don't stand a chance on Thanksgiving morning, okay? <laughs> we will see, brother. We will see. All, All right. right. We'll see you soon. Okay. Talk to you soon, John. Bye. Absolutely. Wait, 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 wait. Do not hang up on the line. As you probably heard, we had a lot of audio issues in this podcast with John Goldman. So he was nice enough to call me back and redo a lot of questions that we missed. So please listen to this bonus section. It is well worth your time. Not only is there a bonus section, there is a bonus within the bonus section that is absolutely worth your time. So do not hang up. Keep listening to this podcast. Uh, John, so how did you know that you were in with the current crew? And I don't mean athletically. You're obviously as strong and as fast as anybody else in the, in the group. I mean culturally, how did you know that you fit in with these guys? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Absolutely. Especially coming into this, knowing that everyone else knew each other and have been working together under your helm for uh, such a long time at this point. Um, it definitely was an adjustment period, but I feel like I realized um, I was in when at the end of the day, none of us have to be there. We're there because we want to be. And I think that's the uh, underlying factor there. And that's the um, same thing for every single one of us. It's not a job. We're there for one reason, and that's to get better, and that's for the competition. And it's at the end of the day, it's because we want to get. Uh, it's because we want to be there. So, with that being said, um, I think they realize that I'm there to work hard. I want to compete. I want to bring out the best in the person next to me. And I think that was like the moment. It took a little bit of time just to get to know each other, but. I think that's the same with anything. In I life. felt like the big connection point was when you and, and Trunzo had this, this moment of realizing that you both loved professional wrestling. <laughs> and and there, were, there was a couple of texts that he had said something, and I'm like, what is this guy talking about? And then you knew it, and then you guys kind of went off on your own tangent, and I, I was like, I have no idea what these guys are talking about. But you apparently knew it had something to do with professional wrestling. So you, you know what I, I yeah. want to. I, I told you that I was going to ask the next question in a certain order, but I'm going to get to it. So what? What is your obsession with professional wrestling? Like, why do you love it so much? Yeah, I, yeah. So with circling back to the thing with Trunzo, there aren't many of us left anymore that uh, watch this nonsense. So with that being said, if you find someone, you really uh, you stick close to them because I, I'll tell you 
I'll tell you one thing, year after year, there's a uh, few people you meet that like it or even think that it's still on for that matter. Everyone thought it ended in the late 90s. But uh, <laughs> with that being said, I just uh, grew up watching it. Two older brothers that watched it. And um, I would never watch anything uh, fake like Game of Thrones. So I needed something real in my life. So that's why I really uh, – Because uh, wrestling. wrestling is real. <laughs> yes, and love is fake. I have a T-shirt that so says that. I, I, think, I think the quote was, <laughs> and maybe Tronzo said it, maybe you said it, that it's not a prediction. It's a spoiler alert, and you're referencing what was going to happen the next day in a challenge. A, a – well, who says, who says that? Like, who's actually the professional wrestler that actually says that? So, so Paul Heyman, uh, the manager, and, says it. What does it actually mean? So I, I think it, I think it's uh, speaks for itself. I I think that I said it originally, and I was like, "I'm gonna beat you tomorrow." That's not a prediction. That's a spoiler alert. You don't even have to tune in if you don't want to. That's what's gonna happen, and that's the bottom line. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and we, when you said that, I'm like, "What? Where are these guys coming from with this stuff?" And then I and then I realized it's it's uh, the psychotic nature of professional wrestling. So who do you think you most resemble as a professional wrestler? I think that it would be doing this podcast an absolute disjustice to say I was anyone but the Nature Boy Ric Flair. And do you think that being the Nature Boy Ric Flair, does that give you some sort of edge in these group chats as we are constantly trash talking? Uh, I mean, no one can even hold a candle to me on the microphone, and I think that's an absolute fact. There is a athletically do what you want. If you're going to show up as much as you want, that's fine. If you're going to work harder, that's fine. But no one here is competing with me uh, in trash talking. And I can guarantee and, and, An ignorant qu- question on my part, because I was more of a <laughs> WWE guy growing up. I, I know Flair, my, I think he spent more of his time in what is, I think is now known or was known as WCW. Was Flair yep. more of a mic guy than an actual technician in the ring? So he's a 16-time world champ. And uh, up until uh, recently, I think I'm pretty sure that was the all time record in this fictional world of uh, make believe. But th- to be a 16 time champ, that means you got to lose 16 times as well. So let's not uh, forget that. <laughs> With that being said, though, I mean, the, the way he spoke and just the culture, the way he defined an era of culture being the Rolex wearing and he, he made st- uh, a certain style cool. They, it, he was just the greatest on the mic. He had the greatest persona. Still, t- still today, he's like 80 years old, has a stroke every other week. He's still out there doing what he has his, to do. His 30 to 30 was <laughs> legendary. And obviously, the guys, they got sports yeah. teams all over the world, you know, screaming, woo, and talking about doing his walk, <laughs> doing those crazy little chants that he had. Uh, he, he made his mark. So, so uh, what, one, of, one of the uh, best, uh, one of the best uh, Ric Flair stories I ever heard was he was, uh, I, I forget where I heard it. He was talking um, about when he was uh, for his first marriage and he would go out to uh, the club and he would have $30,000 in cash on him. And it, it was a regular club. It was a bar. And they're like, you don't, you don't carry a, uh, you don't carry a credit card. Like you just have all this cash. You have to bring it in a bag. It doesn't even fit in your pocket. He goes, um, the day I leave a paper trail is the day I die. No one will ever find out what I'm doing. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if that's uh, – th- that could be me in a few years of if and when I ever get married. So, I mean, I think he had a point so, there. <laughs> I don't think anyone needs to know what you There was doing. something else I saw on him, which, which I loved, that they said he was loved by other wrestlers. And you, you probably know the term better than I do, but I'll just explain the scenario because – he played it off well that he was getting beat up. He made them look good. And I always thought that was great. Even from like a team perspective, a football perspective, I know they're very different things, but the fact that he made the other wrestler around him look better because he looked like he was taking a beating. He looked like stuff hurt when guys hit him. Not saying that wrestling's fake. Yep. It, in the, uh, in, yeah, you better not be because it's not. But uh, it, no, in the business, it's called like in the business, like I'm in the business. But uh, in the business, it's called uh, yes. selling. So he's selling everyone's punches. He's selling their moves. That's uh, you get you go to the top faster if you know how to sell than if you uh, know how to deliver. And who do you think the other crazy man, Tronzo, who does he resemble most in professional wrestling? So this is funny. I was thinking about this a lot lately, which is just a sign of a lot of mental issues I have that I was thinking about this. But um, I originally said Kenny Omega, who's this, he's this very obscure wrestler who's huge in Japan. Every, 
Trunzo would be honored for me to say that because he's he's well regarded as the greatest in-ring performer in the world today. However, after thinking about it further, I want to say he reminds me a lot of Triple H as well because number one, he is uh, Triple H's uh, nickname is the cerebral cerebral assassin, and to say Trunzo doesn't go into every single workout or thing he does in life for that matter with uh, ready to play mental warfare <laughs> and play chess with you for 48 minutes. Uh, if we can say that is, is just absolutely spot on what he does that. And another thing that reminds me of him is triple H is this absolute historian of wrestling. He knows everything that's ever happened since the inception of wrestling and which is really bizarre and scary, but Trunzo knows everything that's ever happened in advanced training history. And it's actually, I, I feel like we need to have a sit down with him because he knows people's uh, uh, times uh, in 2011 workouts. So I don't know where he retains this information, but he definitely reminds me of the two. Yeah. Of he's keeping the, uh, the hits up on the website. I, I don't know. I, I'm like, who's, who's getting all this traffic to the website. It's him. He said today, you know, it's a, a cold fall day. The tough man is probably eight months away, maybe not. And he said he spent an hour online watching videos of the 2019 tough man to get a competitive advantage for this year. Yeah, and he's dead serious, which is which is very petrifying. It's very scary that he was he definitely did that today, which is I mean, that's why he is as good as he is. I mean. Hats off to So we talked before about you not knowing anyone in the crew other than Joe Sarno. How did you meet Joe Sarno? Yeah, no, that's a funny question. I, I honestly don't even know if he knows this story because it dates back so far. But all the way back in high school, uh, Joe's sister is actually my age. And we were in the same group of friends. And she used to have these amazing parties back in high school. They would uh, be outside with the pool. Everyone I knew would go. And um, I know I know his sister like pretty well at the time, and I got invited. All my friends were invited, and we get to the party, and there's this tall kid that I've never seen before working the door like he's a bouncer in Manhattan. And I'm like, who the hell is this guy saying what's my name? And I it turns out uh, all these years later it was Joe. It was her little brother, but I, uh, that is always my. Uh, first memory with him i'm like who the hell is this guy that's saying what's my name like we're in the we're about to go into a now is he also in high school (laughs) like how old is he at this point yeah so uh i was a uh sophomore he was a freshman in high school i believe so there's a a 13 14 year old (laughs) kid acting like a bouncer in front of a house yeah that's exactly what was a little known fun fact uh, a few years ago I'm a big Halloween fan. We, uh, the Mahoney's like to have murder mystery parties. One of our murder mystery parties, you know, the, the, the scene was a club. So uh, I uh, hired the great Joe Sarno to act as a bouncer in front of my house. So uh, I guess he got his practice <laughs> 12 or 13 years ago. That is an awesome story. I never heard that. That is remarkable. I love yes, that. Uh, even that. better is that he was paid in a jug of protein. So, uh, that that is something else. Uh, I I'm speechless right now. Talk about, about a meathead move. Yeah, we had the whole thing. I had yeah, like that... the uh, the velvet chains in front of the house. He had a clipboard with the the roster of who was coming. <laughs> they had to answer an '80s trivia question in order to get in. If they couldn't answer the question, they had to stay out there till they got like three right in a row. It was an entertaining day. Oh, that's fantastic. He probably loved every second of that. So who else? You know, I hear this about this legendary shore house that you have. You got Joe, you got you, two beasts. Who else is in it? Yeah, so uh, just for a little uh, – excuse me, just for a little context, uh, we had this uh, – for the past few years, for the summer, from Memorial Day to Labor Day, we've been renting uh, this house in Belmar. It's every weekend is just a big party. And uh, but keep in mind, we're training at the time, so we're in great shape. And we had – this year, Sarno and I had this uh, – not even exaggerating, 200 square foot little box of a house. And the other two roommates we had was uh, Brandon Spears, who's about 6'3", 270, and Nick King, who is the most jacked human being I think I've ever met in my life. And I've said this many times before, and I'll say it many times again. I, I wouldn't even say he's pound for pound the strongest person I've ever met. He's just the strongest person I've ever met. So... Picture the four of us 
in a house with two bunk beds just trying to make trying to make it work and i was very very um sour a lot of the summer because i'm a pretty big guy and i was i looked like their kid <laughs> sister that they used to bring around to hang out and staying and standing with these and did animals. you guys tr- like i heard you brought a tire and like uh, i heard guys were using sliders on the on the sand is this true yeah so the memorial day comes and i think i mentioned before but i was uh running um a half a half marathon for my buddy who passed away in Boston. So I was only there for Thursday, Friday, leaving on Sunday to get the get to the run. And um Thursday comes, I'm having a blast. It's a it's supposed to be a weekend. It's just a big party up until I leave. And Friday, uh King comes in this huge pickup truck. I'm driving a Honda Accord. He comes and revs his engine in the pickup truck. And in the back of the pickup truck there's no, there's no beer. There's no uh, clothes for the shore. He just has a big, uh, probably a 16-foot tug-of-war rope, uh, two sledgehammers, and a 500-pound tire in the back seat. And I looked at him, and I thought he was, like, coming from work or something. I didn't know what it was. And I'm like, what, what are we doing with this? He goes, oh, that's for the front yard. I thought it'd be great to get some ropes and some sl- sledgehammers in every morning. I thought it'd be good for the house. I'm like, what could, What did I get myself into? What, did, what are we doing here? And so you're talking about this rope. There is a, a video that I'll say went viral of two maniacs <laughs> doing a tug of war in front of a house in Belmar. I, I need the whole story. So first off, yes. like – what who who were the two maniacs? Did, let's begin this. Yeah, so so I, I'm pretty sure the video you're referencing is Sarno. Yes, and, and ha- how do you guys get into? <laughs> how do you even begin to say let's have a tug of war match? It was like on a sidewalk, right? It was right next to the street. Not yeah, the street. it was right in front of the house. So it was uh, probably two p.m. I uh, was having a great time all day. Let's leave it at that. And Sarno's just getting back from the gym. And it's Memorial Day weekend, and he, he's looking all jacked up. And I'm, I know, like, you could ask him this; he can attest to this. In the gym, I am far stronger than him. And I, I, we haven't. This was like still in the beginning of our training with advanced training, so I, I didn't really know to the magnitude of how much of a beast beast he is. So I, so I looked at him after having a great morning, about having twenty or so uh, protein <laughs> shakes, and. I was like, Sarno, right now, tug of war, right now, middle of the street, let's go. We had more people watching this than the basketball at Rucker <laughs> Park. And I am not even kidding. There was upwards of 30 people watching the surrounding. And I have to say I was the heavy favorite. Not even like, not even like did people like some thought he would win. Everyone thought I was going to kill him in this. And we get on the ropes. Joe drags me about 20 yards down the street. I got absolutely destroyed. I don't even think there was one moment I even had a <laughs> chance of winning. And not only that, not, uh, not only did it, I get embarrassed, I couldn't breathe for about 40 minutes. I uh, packed my bags and I got on the next flight to Boston. <laughs> he really, it, it was like, in the wrestling terminology, it was a loser leaves town match. It was humiliating. And then what happened after that? I heard there was like a... Another competition. The next, the next, the next weekend, we have the full house, which it, it, it's always special when we get the full house there with uh, Spears, King, Sarno, and I. And we were in the side house um, of the of the larger uh, property, and so there was just the four of us. And in the larger house in the front of us was thirteen guys, and they had a five bedroom house, beautiful house. And there was one day, because I'm Ric Flair on the mic, I went up to the front house without any consent from my guys in the back. I go, all right, here's what we're going to do. I didn't even ask. I just told. I go, here's what we're going to do. Us four on the ropes, everyone in this house, we win, we take your house. And they're like, there's 13 of us. I go, I don't care if there's 40 of you. We're doing us four versus you guys. We win, we take the house. And I went into this full-heartedly believing we were going to win because knowing who I had on my team. They set up the rope, and I think we had more people watching this one than the me versus Sarno bout, and the guy who's holding the rope in the middle lets go, and I swear on my life, we, we had the initial tug, we pulled them about a yard, and for about three seconds we were winning this, which in a tug of war, that's an eternity, <laughs> 
and it was a four on thirteen. I also have a video of this that uh, we have to we have to dig up, but it was a four on thirteen. Spears had he was in the back with the uh, rope tied around his waist, literally dragging these thirteen little boys. And I thought we were going to win. Ultimately, we lost. We just didn't have the numbers. But the fact that we even competed is just a testament to them. And I was the guy in the front, which where you put the little the little guys, and I, that was just another moment where they I felt really belittled in that. <laughs> so, so two requests that I have for you. One is. Please send me that video. I saw the other one, the, yes. uh, the one versus one match. I want to see the 13 versus four match. Second yes. request is I highly recommend this to you and everybody else. There is a YouTube video of a, a tug of war of a, a lion S. I guess it's a lion S versus three jacked up guys. And this lion is just holding this rope in its mouth like it could care less. And these jacked up guys don't budget a, a centimeter, not even an inch, a centimeter. So it just shows you the strength. That's what I was picturing in my mind with you four maniacs holding that rope, you know, and, and these 13 guys going against you. And and let me tell you this. If we won, we were taking that house. There, there wasn't going to be any uh, – there was no questions. I was going to move their bags out myself. I was already preparing what room I was in. I mean a 200-square-foot <laughs> – how would you even find it? How would you just not drive by it? It's so small. Oh, I, uh, <laughs> we, we had this horrible, long story short, we had this horrible realtor who was just basically a used car salesman that told me it was a great spot. I, it was pretty late in the game and, uh, we just took whatever we could get without even looking. So I, I wouldn't trade it for the world though. Do you have a bathroom or you have to go to like an outhouse? No, we, we, we had a, we had a bathroom. We, we didn't have much, but we had a bathroom. I, I'm just trying to picture you four guys in a 200 square foot anything. Uh, yeah, we had we had a bathroom and uh, we also had a fridge, but uh, that was pretty much the extent of it. <laughs> Living the, the high life. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't fancy, but he got so it. Getting done. back to uh, advanced training, and I ask this question to a lot of people: if if we were going to have a tag team challenge all year, so we're going to let's say from January up until till July. And we say it's going to be tag team. You got a partner. Can't change that partner. Who would it be and why? And it's got to be someone who's currently been in our training program. No, that's a great question. And I, uh, right off the top of my head, I think that everyone is automatically going to assume I'm going to say Sarno. And that's not what I'm going to say. And let me preface that with the fact that it has nothing to do with the fact that he's not dominant. He's, it's like, it's not even debatable. He's in, Unbelievable athlete is an absolute beast in the program, but he would not be my tag team partner. And here's why my tag team partner would be Trunzo. And for the fact that not only is he great, but he cares more than anyone in this program. And I, I know that for a fact, he will do anything it takes to win. And I would just feel absolutely horrible letting him down. I know, I know I would do, whatever it took knowing he was my partner to give him everything I got. So that, that, that's a, that's a very different edge where because he cares so much, it's going to raise your game because you can't let him down. Right. And I always say this, there's, um, you can't control, uh, how fast you are or how tall you are. But one thing you can control in life is how much you care and how hard you try. And I mean, he's just a testament to that. And I would absolutely be right there with him, no, like feeding off of the energy he gives. Awesome. I love it. Love it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so pre-conversation, you said you have a bonus story for me, a legendary story. I, okay. I'd love to add this into the podcast. It was not on the original agenda. I love it, right. but I got to hear it. I was – all right. So I was working an event on a Tuesday night. And um, I was in I was in a fresh suit. I'm not even gonna sugarcoat it here. I was looking pretty fresh, and this is uh, circling back to. Uh, I was gonna board. ask you, did you have like big uh, feathers is, around you? Your, your I, I didn't. I didn't have any feathers. I'm not a uh, cross dresser, but I did look pretty good. And uh, I was dry. I was driving in my car on the way to the event, and I'm like, I I can't buckle up. This is gonna wrinkle the suit. Driving halfway down Highland Boulevard in Staten Island, I get pulled over, and I'm like, what, what is going on here? I, I'm getting pulled over? I wasn't speeding. I wasn't texting. I, I, got, I was pulled over for a no seatbelt. I looked at the guy. I go, 
Would you would you put on a seatbelt if you had a suit on like this? I gave him my PBA card. He goes, honestly, that was such a crazy answer. I'm going to let you go. And then I went on my way. But I I swear in my life that's a true story. And that, that was just straight out of uh, just being living that lifestyle of trying to <laughs> trying to live that story. So after he this cop lets you go, do you put a seatbelt on? No, what am I insane? <laughs> Boys and girls, I'm going to leave you with this message. Please, uh, high fashion does not trump living. Please put a seatbelt on. Please. <laughs> we can't lose you from the program, Goldman. We need you. That's it. That's it. All right, people, that was it. That was the bonus section from John Goldman. I hope that you thought it was as awesome as I did. Thank you for sticking around. Bye.